You're listening to an Influicity podcast. You're tuned in to the Manjeet Minhas podcast. Welcome to the Manjeet Minhas podcast, a show where we talk to some of the brightest entrepreneurs of today. This week, we're chatting with Joanna Griffiths, founder and CEO of Nixwear. Joanna launched Nix with the goal of transforming an underwear market that had too much frill and not enough function a trailblazer with the creation of leak-proof underwear. She continues to focus on listening to what people need to feel comfortable and confident in their own skin and aims to positively transform women's lives with their undergarments. Joanna, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for joining me today, Joanna. I guess let's get right into it. You have definitely had a really interesting journey as an entrepreneur. So tell me a little bit about your background and your journey um, to get to uh, being where you are today. Yeah, so I actually, um, I'm an accidental entrepreneur, which I'm sure you hear from so many people, but um, I started my career in media and entertainment. So worked in music um, at TIFF for a bit and at CBC. So worked on Dragon's Den for a few years. And then I went back and did an MBA, I guess, eight years ago now. You know, I didn't go back to school thinking that I would start my own business, but really soon in the process of just having that space and the time and energy to kind of think about something that wasn't my job, I really I started started becoming obsessed with what is now Nix. And I um, spent the whole time that I was at school doing a lot of research around this whole concept of leak-proof underwear and what it was that women were looking for from intimates and how they felt about the category and where the opportunity was. And um, through all of those interviews and all of the time that I spent on chat forums and stuff, I sort of became obsessed with, with this concept and passed the point of no return. So I moved back to Canada and um, launched the brand eight, just about eight years ago now. Um, and it's been a wild ride ever since. It's not something that I think many women or many people, you know, wake up and think, I am going to get into this not only very challenging industry for anybody who knows, you know, clothing, for example, but when it comes to women, we are definitely fickle. But what made you think that you could do it better or just do it at all? Um, well, I think ignorance and being very naive were the main reasons. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And certainly there's been points along the way where I've said to myself, you know, if I knew it was going to be like this, if I knew it was going to be this hard, I don't think I would have done it. But, uh, you know, it, it all comes back to that time that I spent at school and connecting and interviewing hundreds of women and really feeling this sense of kind of um, urgency and, and, and drive where I could see how badly the industry was making people feel about themselves. It was the height of Victoria's Secret as a category was making women feel completely inferior, like sexual objects and just the messages being conveyed. And it certainly didn't speak to me. And then I think on top of that, I had this idea for this product category, which is leak-proof underwear that I hadn't seen anyone making. Everyone that I talked to, once you sort of gave them the understanding of what it was, was like, why doesn't this exist? And yet at the same time, I think that it was unsexy enough that it had 
not been done yet. Like I, I don't know if you, if you are familiar with this concept or if you believe in this mindset that like all the sexy problems get tackled first, like all the sexy industries and stuff get tackled first. And um, obviously I'm in lingerie and intimate. So it's, it's maybe seems counterintuitive that I say it wasn't sexy, but this concept of making a product for people for their periods or for um, stress incontinence, like these were really taboo topics that um, no one wanted to go near. And I think that I was kind of out there enough to feel like I was going to be the one who would do it. So what was your first product that you came out with? So it was exactly that. It was great looking leak proof underwear. Um, and so we launched that in 2013. Uh, we had a sport line, an everyday line, and a lace line. Everything was completely overbranded because I also didn't know what I was doing there. We had like NYX and Fitnix and Nixie and all these different lines. <laughs> and, um, but really what we did was we took like the best possible underwear that we could find on the market, the best silhouettes, the best fabrics. And then we innovated by bringing in this leak-proof technology that you really couldn't find anywhere else. And um, that was what we launched with back in 2013. We still sell a lot of it today. Right. Okay. Fantastic. And I think that that's interesting that I agree with you. Uh, When I started at 19, I was definitely naive to the liquor and the beer industry. Otherwise, 20 years later now, if I knew all the challenges, all the players, all the regulation, um, all the uphill battles that I would have, I would definitely not go into it today. But I think naivety is a bliss and ignorance is definitely bliss when you are an entrepreneur with a vision to begin with. And so what would you say were your strengths? Ranks beginning when you were starting because you were creating a product um, from scratch essentially, which um, definitely has a lot of trials and tribulations and trial and error. Um, and so, what would you say was your real strength? Was it manufacturing? Was it supply chain? Was it marketing? Like, where were you really good at? So, I was very bad at a lot of things. Um, because I just, I came from entertainment. So I'd never made a physical product before. I'd never made something. So a lot of the pieces I had to figure out, I think what I knew was, I think I've always been strong on marketing and sort of understanding who the consumer is and how to really connect with people and how to bring an authentic voice to a brand where you're, um, building a human connection that's far deeper than just a product. I think for my days in entertainment, I loved that about the people and brands that I worked with. I loved that they were living, breathing things that could connect. And, and um, that was something that I strive for within within the physical product world. And then um, unannounced to me, like I had no idea, but another sort of, I guess, superpower or, or skill that I've identified over the years is that I'm a great product tracker. So I'm really good at seeing a product, listening to people on what the pain points are, and then in a really scrappy way, coming up with um, with a, a whole new way to make them better and different. So um, I guess I think outside of the box in that regard, and that has really allowed us to innovate within the really old intimates category that has lacked innovation and bring a new fresh lens and a fresh approach. Interesting. So how did you fill in the gaps or how did you discover what you didn't know and get those, you know, boxes checked? Painfully, <laughs> slowly. Like, um, I, you know, I think in the early days, I, um, 
and I'm, I'm sure you can relate to this. Like you have to have a certain sense of humbleness being an entrepreneur because there are going to be so many things that you don't know how to do and so many things that you have to figure out. So I would say in the early days, I got very comfortable asking for help, which was something in my previous life that was just not part of my DNA. Like I, you know, have sort of was trained and have the mindset of like come with solutions, not problems and like have all the answers. But I learned very quickly in starting next that I was never going to have all the answers. And so I had to get really good at leveraging my network, asking people for help, figuring out the right questions to ask and kind of putting together the pieces. Getting the right team has been an ongoing journey. And I think, um, it's really only been over the past couple of years that I've been in the position or have scaled the company to the point where I'm able to hire like best in class leaders and, and people to join our team where um, through their experience, we've really been able to, to take things to the next level. Um, I think with any startup, you kind of make this shift of like needing generalists at first and just a whole bunch of people who are scrappy and can figure it out. And then over time, identifying that to really scale and really grow, you need people who are best in class at their field. And so um, I've just recently made that shift over the past two years. Yeah, that's a tough thing, not only to realize and be self-aware about, but definitely um, in order to get it right. And I don't think anybody gets it right ever. I think it's always um, a, a continuous learning process as people come and go and your needs as not only um, a founder and a CEO change, but your companies and your organization's needs change. Um, so what would you say some of the big mistakes or mistakes in general that you made early on? Oh, so many. Anything that stands out that if you could go back that you wouldn't do? Like, I think a lot of mistakes that we all make, um, we learn from. And I think I wouldn't categorize as mistakes, but there are definitely some um, that I can think about in my own career that that I would go, okay, if I didn't do that, I, I, I would be okay with. <laughs> yeah. So I think um, it took me a very long time to learn how to say no to things. So to identify the power in no. Um, when I was first getting started, you just you never want to turn down an opportunity. And so you almost find yourself, I don't know if you went through this as well, like you say yes to everything, even though um, like I didn't want to turn down a sale, I didn't want to turn down whatever. And so you end up saying yes to everything. And for me and for Nick, what that meant was that actually it sent us on a three-year detour. So if you want to talk about, um, people always say fail fast. I, I don't think I feel fast in that regard. But I spent the first three years of Nick's building a wholesale business and selling into third-party retailers when really my initial vision for the brand had been to sell online. And a lot of that came from having inbound interest and not wanting to say no and then having a really small team where we could only be good at one thing and we focused on wholesale. On the flip side, I think one of the most powerful decisions I've made as a leader was about four years ago when... Um, wholesale represented you know, over 70% of our revenue. And I made the strategic decision to entirely pull out of that channel and to really start the company over as a, as a digital first brand. I got a lot of criticism for it at the time. Um, it was really challenging. A lot of angry people and retailers that had been with us along the way. But I really realized that if we were going to scale the way we wanted to and sort of build the brand the way that I wanted to, that we needed to go direct. And so through that choice and ultimately not being afraid to recognize that I'd made 
the wrong decision, even though it was like a three-year sunk cost at that point in time, that's when our company really started to grow. And, you know, when we, we started kind of this, this um, rocket ship of, of what the last couple of years has been. I think that's really not only brave, um, but I, you you understood what your needs as an organization kind of um, the outlook would be where you could be, but how you were going to get there um, was going to be slow if you continued with the wholesale market. Now that's definitely risky to completely you know pivot when um, when you don't when there are so many unknowns. And so, what made you make that decision not to you know straddle both and just do the digital because, you know, kind of new back then. Um, but also, uh, it, it, it's it, just like anything, it's definitely a risk, um, but also embodies a lot more um, channels of having everything in step, whether it be marketing or supply chain. And, um, you know, uh, definitely the product you're, like yours, I would imagine political correctness with the risks that you were taking also um, very early on, very uniquely with, you know, the images and the marketing marketing that you were taking um, with just not, like you say, the Victoria's Secret model in all of your ad campaigns, which for some people I can imagine was uncomfortable. So talk to me about how you were comfortable with taking so many risks all at one time. I don't, I don't, I don't know if a lot of it has been intentional. I think that um, I lead mixed with heart and I sort of follow, I've always built the brand that I wish existed and have spoken to our customer base and have spoken to women in a way that I wish that I was spoken to. And so what that has meant is that we have been really um, at the forefront of sort of inclusive marketing and having very diverse people as part of our campaign. We've also been at the forefront, to, to your point, of taking on taboo topics and having these conversations. But um, they're all conversations that... I could pick up on were happening behind the scenes. And so we just we just brought them to the forefront. When I think about next, I think about the last several years um, and our like big breakthrough moments. Every single time we've like had a breakthrough, it's always been when I've been the most uncomfortable. It's been when I've been like scared out of my mind. Is this the right decision or the wrong decision? Wholesale being one of them, some of the bolder campaigns that we've done being the others. And I, what I've learned is that that feeling that I get is really just because we're doing something I haven't seen before. And so there's a risk on how it's going to be received, but there's also a really big potential that it's going to be something new and breakthrough. So I'm constantly weighing those two things, I guess. Um, and in the case of wholesale, it really came down to values. Um, we were, really leaning into this messaging in our marketing and we had no control over our retail partners. Like no one wanted to carry our size range. Nobody wanted to show the same images. And so we were creating this really negative customer experience where we would, you know, have customers drive to three or four retail stores. We'd look on our website, they'd be, you know, okay, where's Nixon Calgary? They drive to every single location and then be turned away place after place because they didn't carry their size. And that just felt like such a huge disconnect from what we wanted to have people experience. But we also were so small that we had zero leverage and zero pull. Like when I would bring these things up with retail partners, like they, they wouldn't even take our calls. So we were such like a minuscule part of their business. And so um, I think I realized that like we need 
our business means so little to these partners, but it means everything to, to, to us, you know? It's important, I think, as an entrepreneur that you decide when you um, are going to take control over your own destiny and listen to your gut as an entrepreneur. Like you started this with a vision and a passion, obviously, and and um, that was starting to be eroded away because of circumstances and or um, who you choose to partner with. And and of course, hindsight is twenty twenty in a lot of those cases. So I think that's that is that how you lead. Also, do you discover with listening to your gut and your intu- intuition, um, or are you one that's a little more methodical um, as far as you know pros and cons and 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 weighing out decisions? I think I'm a mix of both. I lead in part through observation, so I like read every comment that comes in on our brand. I'm constantly scrolling through every post. What are people saying? You know, we've developed kind of an infrastructure at Nix where we are. Um, sharing back like all of the customer feedback that we get on a very regular basis. And then I think that I'm good at picking up on trends within that information and then having that drive an instinct. But I spend a lot of time watching and listening and observing more more than I would like to admit, especially because so much of that takes place on Instagram. So I don't think this is healthy, um, but it's, it's, uh, it's where our community is. And so it's, it's part of kind of my job. I think that part of the beauty of selling online is that everything is so data-driven. Like it's very, very clear if something's working, if something's not working, um, and to drive incrementality. And so um, we've gotten a lot better at at using like u- using that that data as well. So it's a mix. It's definitely a mix. I'm trying, and I don't know how to do this. I don't know if you have any advice, but um, we're you know we're about to hire a, a brand marketing lead for next, which we haven't really had before, and I'm trying to be less instinct driven when it comes to brand. I don't know how to do that yet. Like a lot of it lives in my head, and I need to get it out of my head. <laughs> that is definitely hard as a co-founder, not only to let go, um, but also as a visionary. But I think more and more, and, and you figure out um, that others can do their job really, really well too. You just have to give them the, the the reins to do so, but the flexibility. But I also definitely believe in helicopter parenting and leading to a certain point when, when until you're completely comfortable, I think, as a leader to know that... You they understand the vision and the steps to get there, but also understand that they bring in a different viewpoint. And I think as you get larger and have more complexities, it's really important to understand that too, but it's hard, no doubt about it. <laughs> Just like it's, it, it's hard to, you know, uh, sometimes let go of your children in order for them to get out into the world and, and to make mistakes and, and, and fall literally. Um, but also metaphorically, it's the same thing I think with our babies being our companies. So what do you see as your biggest challenge right now? I think our our biggest challenge is our biggest opportunity, which is how do we um how do we really break through in the US market? So um I think that I'm so incredibly happy with how everything has been going in Canada and the brand that we've been building here. And we're trying to do the the same thing in the US. And it's it's funny because we we're doing all the same things. I just think the market in the US here like what you said off the top, it's so crowded. There's so many players. So that is a huge challenge for us at the moment is how do we do that effectively and in a way that still feels very Nick's 
So that's kind of the biggest thing for us to figure out at the moment. From a team standpoint, we're kind of going through that um, transitional point of like, where you, where you pass 100 employees and you're like, trying, you know, you're really, it's, it's really the, that foundational time where you're ensuring that your company values are lived across the entire organization. And you're moving from like, one person in a role to kind of team-based structures. And um, so there's a lot of challenges, I'd say, on the people side to kind of be figuring all of that out in the midst of, of pursuing pursuing growth. And has any of that changed um, for the better or for the worst since the pandemic started? Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been so different. Um, we were a hundred percent in the office kind of organization. And now obviously we work remotely. Um, I think, you know, it, it brings its own, its own set of challenges because in some ways I think we're more connected than we've ever been. Um, we do a lot of town halls, a lot of all hands every morning we're doing them. And we've been doing that since, since the middle of March. Um, but then you miss those like, random interactions in the office where you just have a conversation and you go off on a tangent and something magical happens. We don't, we don't get that anymore. And so um, that's been a little bit of a balance. And then I think in general, I don't know how, how, how like you found it, but um, people are just going through a lot right now. Like our whole lives have changed and there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of uncertainty. And so being mindful of that is, 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 is also a challenge, like being supportive of people and understanding that this isn't a regular time in people's lives. And we're sort of rewriting the playbook around boundaries and work-life balance and all of these things that we hadn't figured out before, but at least we had struck, we had like our own systems for it. Now it's all just one melding pot, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that's a challenge we all are facing, um, definitely in different, in different forms. Um, and so since you launched and, you know, definitely embraced really, I, I would say progressive marketing, um, have you noticed an improvement in women's body images and how they're perceived and portrayed? Because you guys definitely took a big, bold, brave step um, to include, like you said, a, a wide range of sizes, definitely, you know, not all the filters and the airbrushing and, and the, and the quote, fixing up of what a woman's body should look like in their, you know, intimates. So that's, is there a shift that you are saying positively? hundred percent. I have seen like the whole industry change. I think, you know, things that we used to do that used to feel very out there or sort of something you would never see before. Now you're seeing all the time from a number of different brands. Um, and I think even, you know, even the concept of sort of the approach that we took to marketing like that several years ago was a differentiating factor in and of itself. Now I think showcasing that you value like diversity and inclusion is it's more of a company value now than it is a a point of of difference. And so I've I've seen a huge shift. Um, I think in some categories in some industries it took a lot longer. So um, you know I think even looking at our at intimates, it was only I think earlier this year that Victoria's Secret finally started using diverse models, but like they've done it. So here we are. But I think it's been really really exciting to see all of the new brands across every category that have 
launched and are just taking a much more human approach to marketing and who understand that um, this idea of aspirational has changed in our minds. So in the 90s, aspirational was like stick thin and, you know, the Kate Mosses of the world and like luxury handbags or whatever it might be. And over time, I think this, this idea and notion has been changing. And now I think aspirational is much more rooted in like the health and wellness industry and this idea of kind of liking yourself and being at peace with yourself. And, um, and so I think we're seeing that shift across almost every industry now. And it's really exciting. Even in the beer industry, we see that with marketing, right? We we don't have those the typical people and you know girls, women in in beer commercials anymore. It's definitely changing, and I think it's great. And I think it's great great that it's happening. It's more realistic across the board. But then tell me, that's how you stood out when you began. So then tell me, how do you do that now? Um, and how do you that that provides? Let's face it, great. You changed the conversation and you made it more acceptable. But then how do you? stand out in the crowded marketplace going forward? Is it with products? Is it with marketing? Um, I'm answering the question maybe, but... <laughs> no, no. I think that's it's such a good question because I, I've really seen the market shift and, um, you know, it's, it's not a unique point of difference anymore. So um, we've always tried to be at the forefront of pushing the envelope, um, of evolving the conversation away from just like, um, our physical bodies and tapping into more of the emotional side or these like bigger holistic conversations that are associated with our customer base. So I think a lot of the the conversations that we've had around fertility and postpartum and natural experience and mental health is is kind of taking like, okay, let's show somebody who is maybe not a size two, you know what I mean? Or let's show different bodies. And now we're taking the conversation a level deeper. And so how do we stay relevant? I think it's the way that we always have, which is really what we do ultimately is we take our customers and we put them at the forefront and we share their stories. And we let them share what is top of mind for them, how they're feeling, what they're thinking about. And I think it's people were becoming a lot more comfortable taking conversations to a much deeper place than we were a few years ago. I think people are a lot more open to talk about just the, the realness of life. You know what I mean? We, you know, we kind of went from peak 2013 Instagram perfection where everything is curated and every image is perfect and these things to now authenticity and vulnerability is one of the most applauded things that we have as, as, a, as humanity right now. So I think by having our customers be at the forefront of the stories we're telling and seeing them evolve, our brand is constantly evolving as a result. That's fantastic. You know, I discovered uh, your kind of one of your next brands with Nixteen by some of my daughter's um, friends' moms talking about it a couple months ago. I was definitely nervous as my um, eldest, you know, had her first period. I was freaking out for a variety of reasons, no, especially that my little baby was, you know, getting older and, and not a baby anymore. And, but also discovering the fact that the way 
I dealt with it and I was taught about it, not only at school, but at home was very different as to how um, the next generation and, and, you know, my own daughter uh, will go through this. And so I discovered your leak proof underwear for girls and I ordered them immediately and was so excited when I got them. And I remember when it came and I opened the package and I think to myself, this was so inventive and so cool. And I remember my husband looking at me like, it's just underwear, right? What are you so excited about? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm not even going to try to explain it to you. Don't worry about it. I, and I, I wrapped it and I presented it to my daughter that night. And it was, and it was, and it was great because I really did feel that it was something that I wish I had. And I can tell you as a woman, when I heard about it beforehand, that just a concept of leak proof underwear, I thought it kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies. And then once I actually thought about its practicality for my daughter, it was it was a game changer. And so I think that, you know, it was definitely one of those things I would have thought about but never expressed. And because um, it was a taboo kind of subject, nobody really talks about it. And or the same thing has been done for ages with, with tampons and pads and, you know, a variety of other kind of uh, products that are not used very much. So how did you come up with the idea to get into this massive new I would feel, you know, customer base with teens, not just women, because all of a sudden you're expanding um, what I would say would be your customer base, which doesn't happen very often. Yeah. So there were a couple of reasons. The first one is exactly what you said. It was, we had so many people that bought our products and said, I wish this existed when I was a teen. How did this not exist when I was a teen? There's entire sections of teen magazines that are basically dedicated to embarrassing period stories. Like, that's what I remember. It. Sorry for all the men listening, but yeah, the white jeans and you know, the whole nine. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we, we heard so much of that. And so that was that kind of prompted me to look into it. Then I started researching and I realized that periods are actually a top five stress driver amongst teens. So they're, it's right up there with bullying. Am I doing well in school? Do people like me? Those other things are really big, complicated things. Like bullying is complicated. Doing well in school is complicated. Friendships and dynamics are complicated. Periods, not complicated. Like we can have a solution for this. The number one question we still get is, is it gross? Like that has not changed over the last eight years. People are like, this sounds interesting, but is it gross? And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to change a consumer's behavioral pattern over something where they've had their solution for their whole lives. Like people within this category are super brand loyal. They kind of pick a tampon brand in high school and they keep it for forever. And so what we thought was, why don't we be there for cycle one? Why don't we be there from the very, very beginning? We'll completely eliminate this whole anxiety and kind of stress around periods that really shouldn't exist because it's totally natural and you're going to have to live with it for 30 plus years. And then in doing so, ideally, we could help drive this longer behavioral shift where this just becomes part of everyone's period management. And it's been interesting. It's This category didn't exist eight years ago. When I went to go make our first products, manufacturing partners literally looked at me like I was crazy. Like They're like, I'm sorry, you want to make what? Like, how is that going to work? This is what? Nobody wanted to work with us. 
And um, now, you know, in two years time, it's slated to be a half a billion dollar industry and, and growing at a very, very rapid rate. So, um, so I think that we're only just getting started with this product category and you're responsible. First of all, it made my day. So thank you for sending me that message when you did, because um, it's exactly why we exist. Like, we want it to be a win-win for both. Like, we want it to be a win for the parent because they're able to provide their kid with something that they're excited about, and then a win for the kid because they they have or the teen because they have they're not worried about something that was a really big stress driver for them. Yeah, I, I I I really don't know what else to say other than it was fantastic, and I felt like super mom suddenly because I don't feel like that very often. <laughs> um, um, so, um, talk to me about what advice would you give other entrepreneurs that are early on um, in their journey, kind of figuring out who and what they are. Yeah, so I think the big one is don't don't be afraid to ask for help. So really. Be accepting of the fact that you don't have all the answers and you don't have to have all the answers, I think. Um, and, and have like an openness and a willingness to ask for help is, it, is, is, is one piece of advice. The second one, which has been so instrumental for me at Nix, and I really hope that everyone can do this with their whatever it is that they're setting out to do, which is attach your idea, your company to a, a mission or, an, or a concept that is so much bigger than you. Um, so, so fight for something. And we've done that at Nix. We're like very much a mission led company. And that has made such a huge difference over the years in terms of it was the reason why I got out of bed when like everything was going wrong and things weren't working. Um, it gave me the, the, the willpower to kind of fight harder for things because I think inherently it can feel unnatural to, to fight for things especially as Canadians, I feel like we're not that good at that. <laughs> and then I would say the final thing is it's a, enabled me to hire really, really incredible people that I don't think otherwise I would have been able to work with. So I encourage every founder and entrepreneur to think about, yes, I'm making this product. Or yes, I'm offering this service. But this is the impact that I want to have on the greater community and world, whatever that might be. That's what I'm going to orientate myself towards. Thank you so much for your time today, Joanna. I really do appreciate it. All your insight, because I think that as entrepreneurs, that's really important that um, listeners and other entrepreneurs understand that everybody has challenges, um, which can hopefully help others, you know, in their journey. So thank you so much for your time again. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for joining us today. I really enjoyed our conversation on your journey as an entrepreneur and all of the challenges, ups and downs that you have faced um, since you started your business. Please join us next week for another new episode of the Manjeet Manhas podcast. 